appreciate God for the privilege to also bring the word today. And I want to thank God for those who are joining us on LiveGate Outreach TV and uh, also listening by podcasts. We now have the podcast. As you know, podcasts can now be obtained through iOS or Android platforms. So you just need to go to your podcast, whichever phone system, operating system you use. Uh, I don't know if there's a third one, uh, because some people just, uh, everybody uses one thing, but some people will always find it. <laughs> if you have podcasts, I'm sure if you use Android or you use iOS, Apple iOS, you should be able to find podcasts. If you look for LiveGate Outreach Center, uh, you will find us there. And all the messages that have been preached in this church for the past two to three years are on the podcast. Everything is on YouTube in LiveGate Outreach TV, but on the podcast you can find from the past two years thereabouts. So we are truly grateful for the privilege to bring the word. And thank you for those of you that send in testimonies from time to time, send text messages, send messages on our Facebook portal and every other place as to how God has been blessing you around the world. We are truly grateful that we have this privilege to to reach you where you are. And we pray that as God is blessing us and giving us testimonies here, he will do the same in your lives in Jesus' name. What an awesome privilege to come to the end of our series on the creative power of God. This is the eighth session, and as you can see in the banner, there have been many topics we had looked at. Just looking at the chapters, chapters one to three was transformational. Chapters three to uh, chapters four to six, we looked at multiplication or multiplying. We looked at illuminating in chapters seven to nine. We looked at protective in chapters ten to twelve. We looked at the enabling power. I'm saying this quickly because you can find it all online. Uh, we looked at the enabling power in chapters thirteen. To 15. And then in chapters 16 and 17, we looked at the mediating power, 18 and 19. Last week, Pastor Sifas helped us extensively to explore the supportive power of God. And of course, today we look at the last two chapters in the book of John, chapters 20 and 21, to the glory of God. I had never seen this chapter, this book of the Bible, explained in these eight formats. But God uh, revealed this to me uh, very, very late last year when I was thinking through and planning the topics for this year with him. And he said we can look at the book of John from these perspectives. As I've said, we can always come back to the book of John like we do in this place and go through another thread that God gives to us. But this is to help us to see the different dimensions of this creative power of God. The last two chapters, John chapter 20 and John chapter 21, as we focus on the restorative power of God, is very key, very key. As a matter of fact, it ties together everything we have done till date. And I want to believe God that we will go back and look at this uh, series and just get a, a better insight as we take time to study some more. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. So when we talk about the creative power of God, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that in the beginning God created. So one of the very first things we learn about God is the fact that he is a creator. He is a creator. And that creativity means that he has a power to do just that. And in this series, what we've been looking at is looking at the different dimensions of that power. So when we're talking about the restorative power of God in terms of his creativity, we're talking about how he is able to use that creative power to restore mankind. In the beginning of our readings today, of course, we read John 21, but in John chapter 20, which is one of the focus scriptures, verse 1, the Bible says this was after the resurrection 
and you can see it on your screen. Let's read together. It said, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Verse 2. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, of course that meant John, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Go straight to verse 9. The Bible says, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. You see, what you know is so important. What you do not know can so make life a frustration. These people, if they had known the scripture that said that he will be risen from the dead, it was already three days. It was already prophesied. And he told them many times while he was with them, destroy this temple in three days and he will, I, will raise, I will build it again. And all those things he was saying. But they could not understand for they had not yet, please put verse 9 again, for they had not yet known the scripture. For as yet... They listened, they heard, but as yet they did not know. Why am I making this emphasis? If we have been listening to the word, reading the word, and uh, hearing the word, and all those things, if we have not come to the place of the knowledge of the scripture, we will be screaming and crying. Go back to verse 2. We will be screaming and crying like Peter, John, the disciples, and Mary. They were saying they have taken away the Lord. Who took him away? Nobody took him away. He rose from the dead. If only they had known. So I want to encourage us to understand that when we are pressing into this understanding of the restorative power of God, it is fulcrumed and hinged upon knowledge. May God grant us knowledge today. In the name of Jesus. The Bible says in verse 10, verse 9, they did not know, but the verse 10 says, then the disciples went away. I'm sure, sorrowful, sad, they went away again to their homes. The same way they left the cross. The same way they left him on the cross, dejected, feeling all alone. They went to their homes. As a matter of fact, they began to hide. When we get to John 21, we see that. They began to hide in their homes because they know that now their master, the one who used to protect them, the one who asked them in John, remember John chapter 18 when we looked at it last week, the one who said, are you the one, am I the one that you are looking for? If you are, I'm the one you are looking for, let this go. And he gave himself and they took him and let them go. But now he is gone. So they were living in fear because they had not go put back verse 9. For they have not yet known the scripture. For as yet they did not know the scripture. Believers must go back to the place of knowledge. The Bible says in John eleven forty, we're not turned to it. He said that, have I not told you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Now you will believe when you know. You cannot believe what you don't know. You only believe because you know. Somebody said something, you know it, you gain the knowledge, then you can believe. You can believe. Those of us who are into sciences and into things that have to do with practice like engineering, technology, there are things we learned in school that we knew in school, and that's good. It got us through school. But there was a degree of knowledge that came after we applied those things. I designed many buildings in the classroom when I was a student, theoretically. <laughs> I was designing beams and slabs and stuff. But until I became a graduate and I began to design real buildings that people went inside and it did not collapse, 
then I completely believed <laughs> that those theories are true. That's exactly how it is. You can perform surgery with, with cadavers. And when, when we were in the university, we used to go to the medical school and we used to see the medical students with, life, with bodies, not life bodies, <laughs> dead bodies. They call them cadavers, don't they? And uh, they used to perform those operations. And they did those things. They teach them how to locate the heart and all that. And they did those on corpses. But until they graduate and do it on a living person that they put to sleep and they change his heart and they brought him back to life and the man looks at them and says, thank you. Until that time, they still haven't known it. <laughs> Hallelujah. There is theoretical knowledge and there is practical knowledge. It is practical knowledge that sets you free. When Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. He's not talking about you will have something you have memorized. He's not talking about something you can just recite. He's talking about something you have experienced. Something that you have tested. Something that you have touched. I pray that God will take us to that realm of knowledge in Jesus' name. So when we talk about restore, the word re simply means to put back. So it means to put back. To restore means to put back. It means to reestablish. It means to reinstall, to recreate something that has already been done, destroyed for whatever reason, but then it is recreated. About 10 years ago, I used to uh, head a division for a company called Bureau Veritas in Birmingham, and I was the principal engineer, and I had a team of people with me. And what was our job? Every time we were looking, we, were we had to be attending to insurance issues on houses that have been burnt by fire. And in the south especially, we dealt with a lot of properties that have been flooded. And um, our work was to go in after those damages to make an assessment of what the damage was and redesign the buildings and restore them. And it used to amaze me. If you see some of the buildings damaged by fire, you can hardly imagine that anything can be restored from it. But we go in there, see what the old building was like, redo the plans, and then respecify things that people will now go, builders will now go, strip out the things that are damaged. We look at elements that can still be used, and so on. And then they put back things and put some new things. And by the time the owners come back to see their properties, they're usually amazed. Because for about six months, we keep them out, put them in a hotel paid for by the insurance and uh, they are away from their building and they are not allowed to come back until it is handover day. So it's like a big ceremony when they are coming back. They don't know what they are going to see. Some of them still have the picture of that fire damage. They still have the picture of the flooded place where everything was all messed up. But when we bring them back and we're taking them around, they're usually all in awe. Because restoration has a way of putting back something to new. So when Jesus rose from the dead, what he demonstrated for us was his capacity to go from life to death and to life again. So that when we understand that if we be in Christ are a new creation, we also have the opportunity to go from death, from life that we have now, to the death that we will all die physically at some point, but at the same time we will all rise again. Hallelujah! That is the biggest thing that will happen in the life of believers. But before that time, there will be the chances and times of falling and rising. Walking, falling and rising. It is the journey of a believer. We like to talk about our testimonies as if all we do is walk and run and fly every time. No, there are days that we fall. What is, what is a fall? A fall is not that you fell into one adulterous act or some terrible thing that believers will call terrible. A fall is simply when you fall short. What is a sin? 
The Bible says all have sinned and what? Falling. Falling what? Short. It didn't say fall big. <laughs> there is a standard of God. And any time you don't hit it, you actually have fallen. So a fall is not until you do something so, so, so big that everybody will say, oh, that man or that woman has fallen. Now, of course, that's a fall in itself, but that's not the only thing. So as believers, we must understand that we need to understand the place of embracing the restoration power. Satan's mission is to kill, to steal, to destroy. We have said that many times in this, in this series, in John 10, 10. We must all understand that Jesus Christ came so that he can restore. Every time there is a falling, every time there is a, a stealing from your life, every time there is a killing in your life, his role is to restore. And the power of God will continue to restore in your life. In the name of Jesus. Romans chapter 8 verse 35 says, Say, Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? It says, Shall tribulation or distress or persecution? These are the things that Satan uses now to make people separated. To make people fall. He brings tribulation. He brings distress. He brings persecution. He brings famine. He brings nakedness. He brings peril. He brings sword. He causes people to go through situations of life that make them want to give up. He brings financial challenges. He brings marital stress. He brings disorganization. He brings things that put pressure on people. The job place, the business world is so chaotic and so tough in this day and age. We have all sorts of things going on. And we must all understand that until we learn how to take the power that is in the restorative power of God, apply it every time we're finding ourselves being made to fall short because of the wickedness around us, we will continue to suffer like Mary and the disciples, not knowing yet the scripture. But God will keep delivering us in Jesus' name. He said, as it is written, verse 36, for your sakes we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37, he said, yet in all these things, Yet in all these things, read it with me. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Say, I am more than a conqueror. I will keep overcoming every challenge of my life in the name of Jesus. You see, when you see a person that looks like, especially a child of God, that looks like they have no problem at all, it is because they have learned some of these truths. They have experienced it. And they live in it. You live like somebody who has no challenge whatsoever. But many times what you are crossing are bigger than mountains that many people can ever imagine in their life. Hallelujah. I pray that God takes us all to that realm. Where we keep overcoming because we know the love of God is upon our lives. In the name of Jesus. What do you need to do? Verse 38. He said, for I am persuaded. Remain in persuasion. Remain in persuasion that none of these things can hinder you. He said, not death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. He said, none of these things, verse 39. He said, I am persuaded that none of these things, height or death or other created things, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You must be persuaded that even though they may come your way, they will not be sufficient to separate you in the name of Jesus. You have to take that decision yourself. If you don't, the devil will keep using it to harass you. I have told you, there is nobody. Go to anyone that is called into any significant thing in life, especially ministry. The moment they said, Lord, 
I am ready. The devil will come to them and say, are you sure? You will fail. You remember you are this, you are that, you don't have this, you don't have that. You, you, you caused this, you did that. <laughs> he will list them 20 reasons why they will fail. And many people at that point, they just give up. They are separated even before they start. But not knowing that until you come to the place to say, if I perish, I've told you many times, when you harass the devil and say, if I perish, I perish, he runs away. It's just that you are afraid to say it. <laughs> if you say to the devil, you know something, God has said, I'm going and I'm gone. If I die, I die. The devil will say, stupid man, leave him alone. <laughs> say, don't mind him, he's a very useless man. <laughs> he knows that he has failed. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They say, we will not do it. And if we perish, we perish. Isn't it? He said, our God will save us. He said, but even if he does not deliver, we are still not going to do it. He said, stupid people. <laughs> Hallelujah. And this is what you must understand. He said, persuaded that none of these things will separate us. This is how we are able to tap into the restorative power. So that even when we find ourselves in a place of weakness, we know that the love of God is there for us. We can reach out for it again and be restored. I want to quickly take us through uh, some lessons to learn from the life of Peter. The first thing is about Peter is that he was called to be a disciple. We say this in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 verse 9. The Bible says after he got that great fish, you know the story, read it from verse 1 when you have time. It says, for he and all who were with him were as not astonished as the catch of the fish which he had taken, which they had taken, verse 10. They were surprised that they caught so much. And so were James and John and the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. You know the story? He was trying to catch fish. The first time Jesus would, would come in contact with him, with his brothers. And they never caught any. When Jesus got there, they said, he said, have you any fish? They said, we have toiled all night. We caught nothing. After he said to them, turn it to you, they put it to your right side. They said, well, nevertheless, at your word, we will do it. And when they did, this was what happened. And then Jesus said, from now on, you will catch men. So Paul was called. Peter was called. My point here is that you are called. Tell your neighbor for me, you are called. When we talk about calling, many people always think about pulpit ministry or some ministry. Every believer is called. The Bible says, for him whom he foreknew. Them he predestinated, and them he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. Romans 8, 29 and 30. We must understand that our calling is for glory. And just the same way Peter was called, we realize that we are also called. We must understand that everyone who is called is a subject in the hand of the enemy for attacks. The second thing about Peter is that he was given direct revelation of the church. We read this in Matthew chapter 16. Not only was Peter called, he had a revelation of what the church that Jesus is building was going to be. Matthew chapter 16 from verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You know this context? Jesus was asking them, who do people say I am? And people say, some say you are Elijah, some say you are this, some say you are Moses, and so on and so forth. He said, but who do you say I am? And then Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And this is what, what Jesus said to Peter. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Why am I making this emphasis? Peter was no ordinary person. 
Peter was somebody who had revelation so that when you understand at times when you fall or when things don't go the way you expect, especially with your spiritual life, you don't think that it is because you are, you are, you are somebody that is less spiritual. This man was one of the most spiritual persons of his days. The Bible says Jesus himself said, ha, Peter, my father has revealed something to you. It is not come from flesh and blood, not from your sense knowledge, but my father. And verse 18, Jesus said to him, and I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail. The gates of hell were predicted by Jesus right from the time the very first revelation of the church was given. And so when the church sees hell today, when the church sees the pressures that are trying to stop it, and when I'm talking about church, I'm not talking about a local assembly. I'm talking about the body of Christ and you and I who are members of that body. When we see challenges, we must remember that it is written. We must remember that it is written that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It did not say the gates of hell will not come against it. There are two different things. The gates of hell shall not prevail. It's different from the gates of hell shall not come. Many of us think that he said the gates of hell shall not come. So when we see the gates of hell coming, we are worried, we are perplexed. But we should understand that what he said is that even if it comes, and when it comes, he said he shall not prevail against it. You Amen. In the name of Jesus. So Peter was also given direct revelation. Number three, tested. So number one, he was called to be a disciple. Number two, he was given a direct revelation of the church. Then number three, his faith was tested. But Christ prayed so that his faith would not fail. We see this in Luke 22, verse 31. Verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. When you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Every truly called and commissioned saint will be tempted. You will be tried. You will be tempted physically. You will be tempted spiritually. You will be tempted mentally. It is called the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They are his three different things. Remember when he tempted Jesus? He tried him with the bread. He tried him with the mountain. The bread is the lust of the flesh. He tried him with the mountain, the lust of the eyes. He tried him with the pinnacle of the temple to jump down and ask for angels, the, the pride of life. He will keep tempting you with these three things. Don't let them ever, if you find yourself at any time falling for anyone, don't let them get you down. He said, even if the righteous falls seven times, the Lord will cause him to rise again. Amen. Hallelujah. Some of you have stopped fasting because every time you want to fast and it is 12, your legs will be shaking like that and shaking like that and you will eat. So you gave it up. <laughs> you say, I cannot fast. No, that is a lie of the devil. What you need to do is to put in the things that will help you. Hallelujah. You, 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 you have to walk physically. As you are walking spiritually, you walk physically also. Don't be fasting and go sit near a bakery or somewhere, confectionery, where everything is, <laughs> or near Pizza Hut, and then you say, you are, that is not devil tempting you. You are the one tempting yourself. <laughs> if you have a colleague in the office, and they always bring food that is always, you know, very spicy, and everybody knows when they come with that very spiced up chicken, and it's the day you are fasting, look for a place to go when they bring their food. <laughs> By yourself, send yourself to the toilet. <laughs> 
Don't sit there and say shakari kekeke. No, there is no keke you are riding there. <laughs> there is no keke keke that can save you. Before you just say, give me a bottle of it. <laughs> Hallelujah. One of our preacher friends the other time, he said he's surprised that any day he's fasting. When he looks up, all the clouds look like pizza. <laughs> and all the trees look like chocolate bars. I said, I'm not a serious matter. <laughs> So if you are like that, close your eyes with dark goggles. <laughs> dark goggles. He even came to try Jesus. He said, turn these stones to bread. And he knew Jesus could do it. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus knew that this was just a temptation. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You must learn how to resist the devil. But if you find yourself falling, you pick yourself back up. Say, Lord, I need your help in this area. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And watch God give you strength. And then he begins to give you some of this wisdom to know what to do next time. The Bible says that they overcame him. Revelation 12, 11. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimonies. Philippians 4, 13 says we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. Don't try to do things in your own strength. There is a, you know what the, the wheat and the shaft means? The wheat and the shaft come together. When they separate, when they thresh it, when they thresh it like it was in the story of Ruth, the shaft is separated and blown away. And what stays inside is the seed which we need for the wheat. That is what we actually grind into powder. But you know what God showed me? He said that is how we are. The seed in us is Christ. We are just the shaft. What you are looking at now is the shaft that will ultimately be given up so that we can become the full seed that God wants us to be. But right now, what the devil is trying to do is to separate the, that shaft from the seed inside. So he tries to first disconnect you so that he can sift you as wheat. He can sift you, can blow away the shaft, and then there is a disconnect. And when you see a shaft without a seed, it's just, it's just useless. That is why he said, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he said, my father will prune it and cut it away. And it, it is cut away and it dies. It withers. So you and I must understand that the devil is trying to separate. That's why Paul said, who shall separate us? Where we read in Romans chapter 8 verse 35, who shall separate us? Don't let anything separate you. The work of that separation is to make sure that you are put in a vulnerable state to be sift as wheat. I see the faith. This is what God showed me as well. I see our faith as what glues us together with the seed. It is our faith. That is why Jesus said, I pray that your faith will not fail you. I pray that what holds you to me will not fail you. I pray that your faith will not fail you also. In the name of Jesus. Number four, he was distracted. Peter was distracted by the heavenly vision, but we see that his faith remained intact. John chapter 21. For those listening on uh, uh, audio or video, we read John chapter 21 verse 1 to 19 in our scripture reading earlier in the service. John chapter 21, I'll just pick a few verses there as we look at the last two points. In verse 1, he said, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Verse 3. Let's read verse 3 together. Simon Peter said to them, I go fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. 
they went out and immediately got into the boat that that night they caught because they were doing what God has already delivered them from. They had already been called fishers of men. Remember? Remember? He had already called them out and said, follow me and from today you will be fishers of men. So when they went back to fishing, they were still catching nothing because they were in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. But thank God for the restorative power of Christ. He located them in that place. Thank God. And that is my fifth point. Peter was restored by God's mercy and grace. Let's go straight to verse 15. Peter was restored even though he deviated. And the people who were supposed to be connected to him by way of ministry also deviated. This is why those of us who are leaders, parents, husbands, fathers, mothers, teachers, leaders of every kind, especially in the body of Christ, let us be very careful. Because when we miss it, we can cause many people to miss it. Peter said, I go fishing. His brother said, we follow you. They did not talk about fishing before that time. But because the leader said, I go fishing, everybody said, let's go fish. If Peter had said, I go witnessing, the guys would have said the same. So let us understand the place of leadership. Parents, we need to do more work with our children. We are a busy generation, and there's no doubt we need to provide for families. We need to work harder than ever before. The cost of living and so many things, the social pressures are there. But you see, these children have nothing to look at except us in the first formative years of their lives. You cannot imagine how much they take off of us. You must teach them how to pray every day, no matter what it costs you. You must teach them how to read the Bible every day, no matter what it costs you. We still gather around our bed like we did 18 years ago, 19 years ago, when our kids were just 2 years, 3 years, 5 years, that kind of age. We still gather around the bed the same way. And I remember many times we used to laugh from those days, how they used to, how they used to fight over some songs. That we used to sing and they would say they want to take some parts of it. I won't take your time today. I would have given you an example of it. And we laugh about it. But you know, that was how it was 15 years ago. And I look forward to the day, even when they get married and they have their children and everyone goes, that we still gather like that. And I gather with my grandchildren every once in a while. And we teach them the Bible again. And some of them also teaching us what they are learning in their newer days and in their younger days. You know, we are getting very old now. Are you not old? You are not getting old. You don't want to get old. <laughs> you don't want to get old. This is a generation that doesn't want to get old. God will deliver every one of us. It is not getting old that is the problem. It is getting old and still being relevant that is important. Haven't you seen 90-year-old men still shaking this world? 90-year-old. Still doing what? I met a 93-year-old woman. The woman who played the organ when I was just 10 years old. I met her 40 years later, just last month in US, uh, in Greeley. And uh, I was telling her how what she did influenced me. She's 93, Miss Ruth Stewart. I'm sure she'll hear this message at some point because she follows us on Facebook. She's 93. And I was telling my wife that it, till now she drives. And when she drives, the people are in the car are like, wow. <laughs> Hallelujah. You just need to be relevant. And may God continue to help us. In the name of Jesus. So he was restored. Verse 15. John 21, 15. The Bible says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than this? He said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. To save time, you know he asked this question three times. We read it earlier in verse 15 to 17. And I believe that these three times, he kept on telling him, 
your proof, basically, my paraphrase, your proof of that love is for you to feed my lambs, to tend my sheep, to feed my sheep. The proof of the love of God is not in the words, I love you. It is in your commitment to the things of God. It is in your commitment to making fishers of men. It is your commitment to ministerial duties. It is your commitment to this kingdom. That is the proof of the love. Hallelujah. He said, do you love me? He didn't say, don't, don't go and do what you did again. He did not refer once to how he, he failed the temptation three times. And I believe in my own understanding, he asked him three times because he denied him three times. Just to show him that for every one denial, I require you to continue to prove your love for me to overcome it the next time. And I pray that God will grant us this understanding in Jesus' name. I want to quickly say something very important before I close this this morning. Restoration is a very private matter. I have looked at scriptures and I find that many times when people were restored, especially when they fell into sin or when God brought them into kingdom, they were restored very privately with Christ. We talk about the woman caught in adultery very much in John chapter 8. When Jesus was having that conversation with her, all the people who were going to accuse her had left. Because she said, is there no one here left to condemn you? Remember that story? And she said, none, Lord. He said, no one has condemned you. He said, none, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Now there are people who will see that woman the next day and say, see that adulteress. Don't mind her. It's Jesus that saved her. She committed adultery. Meanwhile, she's clean. She's now washed. She's now holy. Because the Lord has sanctified her. Let us not join the accuser. When you see a brother fall, the Bible says those of you who are still spiritual, you should stand around that brother and restore him. He said there is a cry that there is no one that is shouting restore, restore. This is all he's looking for. No one is crying restore anymore in the body of Christ. They say kill him, kill him, kill her. We must change. The God of restoration is looking for partners. He called us into a ministry of reconciliation, not a ministry of condemnation. Let us not be like the world that is trying to accuse the saints, that is trying to... Now, this has nothing to do with allowing a frivolous lifestyle or living anyhow under the name of grace. Um, you know I don't do, we don't do that here by the grace of God. But what I am saying is that we must walk together. When you see a falling in a place, it is not for you to knock the person down anymore. Pick them up from where they are. Help your brother up, help your sister up, and encourage them not to fall next time. Jesus said, I do not condemn you. Go and do what? Sin no more. The man that was the robber at the right hand of Jesus, we read his story in John 19, just, last, just, just yesterday, uh, last week, sorry. The man that was at the robber by the right of, of Jesus, when Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise, many people did not hear that conversation. They were at the foot of the cross still talking about two robbers. They didn't know that one was already a saint. Let's be very careful. The man or woman who is still condemning you for what you did last month is, is guiltier of a weightier sin than whatever you did because you have been forgiven, because you have been pardoned, and you have been set free by God. Stay in the place of your restoration and join forces with God to keep restoring others. This is our duty as the body of Christ.
May God continue to help us in Jesus' name. When Peter was hearing these words, feed my sheep, feed my lamb, feed my sheep. Many people, like the young girl who said you must be one, and he denied. And the soldier who said you must be one, and he denied. And all those people that caused him to deny Christ three times, none of them were there. And in their minds, they may still be holding the thought that one of his disciples was a betrayer. He denied him three times. Friends, why am I making this emphasis? I want us to understand that restoration is so personal. I was driving to a friend's daughter's wedding yesterday. And uh, I was touched by the story of this lady called P.P. Arnold. That's her stage name. She was born in 1946 in America. And uh, black uh, lady, she was born into a gospel family of singers. They were, they were a Christian family who sang gospel. That was very common in the 60s in the States. And most people just carried on when they were born into such families. Now she, by the age of four years, was um, put on stage by chance. And she discovered that she could sing. And people were blessed by it. So she carried on singing in the choirs and doing things. When I heard her story, I, was, I never knew her before. But I heard it on the radio as I was going. I said, I want to research about this lady. And it touched me. But when she became a teenager, she got pregnant. Of course, she wasn't yet married. And the church threw her out viciously. And this lady left the gospel in 1964 and has never been back singing the gospel till today. I felt like crying. I felt like crying because this is what the church does. Killing and killing and throwing out. I pray that none of our youngsters here will get pregnant before time. Amen. I say I pray that none of them will get pregnant before time. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. But you know something? There is no dustbin for any bad behavior. I pray and pray that we will not have to deal with it. But if we have to deal with it, we will deal with it. Nobody will be pushed out for anything. In the name of Jesus. I know the church finds it very difficult to preach these kind of things. Because we want to all be holy. <laughs> we just all want to be holy. Holiness has nothing to do with being vindictive, unforgiving, and throwing out the innocent souls that just need to be restored. May God continue to grant us understanding. I felt her story because I was only four years old as well when I discovered that I could use the stage. Somebody put me on stage in the church. About 600 people sat in that evangelical church. And when I did what I was asked to do and everybody was clapping and they were excited, it dawned on me that, oh, so you can excite people and get people to do things. So I learned that it is a power that God gives to certain people. I was only four years old as well. I am very fortunate I'm still in church. Despite the many things that should have pushed me out of church <laughs> over the last 40 years. But I want to thank God I'm still in church. But I pray for people like P.P. Uh, Arnold and uh, so many people, so many people around the world today that have left the church because the church killed them. The church sniffed life out of them and they managed to rescue themselves and they found peace and solace elsewhere. May God help us not to be that kind of church. In the name of Jesus. We are on a mission here. The mission is the ministry of reconciliation. The Lord will keep granting us grace 
Please, I'll repeat it. This has nothing to do with asking you to live anyhow. The truth is, if you cause yourself any problem, you will live with it for the rest of your life. If you have a child outside wedlock, you will deal with it for the rest of your life. Even the grandchildren, you will deal with them for the rest of your life. <laughs> so you don't need that. But let me tell you this, don't push yourself out. If they said you did something in the office and everybody is so, is so shameful and you don't want to appear, instead of staying away from the church and going into further error, come to church. Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. You are in an adulterous relationship. Don't kill yourself. Come to church. Come to church. Say, Pastor, I need help. I can't let go of that lady in my office. Every 12 o'clock, we go somewhere. Come. Don't run away and keep doing more. If not, you have another one before you know it. Come, come. We will knock your head first. Okay, no, we will not do that. <laughs> Let's rise to our feet.